Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time uh, to be with us uh, live right now, or uh, if you're watching or listening to, to one of our archives, it uh, just means a lot to me that you would take time uh, to jump into uh, the study of the Word of God uh, with us here and with me every Wednesday. Uh, and uh, it, it's been uh, going now for uh, uh, between six and seven years that we've been doing this, and we're in a series now called Knowing God. It's from the book by J.I. Packer. Now, if you uh, have any need to, to go back or you would just like to go back to some of the other Bible studies that we offer, you can find those by going to Burgess Ministries. That's my last name, BurgessMinistries.com. And if you look under Listen there, uh, you'll find um, uh, many archives of Bible studies and series that we've done in the past. Uh, it's, uh, it's brought to you by you know uh, our friends uh, at the Rick and Bubba Show, I'm the co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. In case you didn't know that, that's why we're in the studio. Uh, but also themanchurch.com. I'm, I'm the director for themanchurch.com. This is a hub uh, that is designed uh, to help churches and communities fully implement a sound discipleship strategy to reach and to uh, disciple and mature men spiritually. And if you'd like to see the things we have available, just go to themanchurch.com. Uh, we have a, a 40-week curriculum we have individual resources, everything you can think of. We do events. Uh, you can find those by going to BurgessMinistries.com and looking under events. But when you go to TheManChurch.com, that's where you find our strategy. That's where you find all of our resources. And looking forward to being in Dothan, Alabama, coming up this weekend, uh, along with Steve Farrar, if this winter storm doesn't keep him in Texas. I think we can get him out of Texas. We're trying. Uh, but he is scheduled to be there, Rich Wingo, Brody Kroll, uh, I'm honored to be speaking and teaching that weekend. Our very own uh, Chris Adler, uh, who uh, helps uh, me put this together for you, and he gets it out to all of you every week. He and his brother, who's a worship leader in his own right, uh, will be bringing other musicians, and they'll be doing our praise and worship. Uh, all of our resources will be there. We have a brand-new uh, 40-week curriculum uh, that we will be launching, which ties into our, our lesson today. Uh, we'll launch this new curriculum at the end of March, giving us two 40-week curriculums that you can choose from. And the second one uh, is, uh, the, the first one that we did is called The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. Uh, and it, it takes on eight characteristics that you would find in uh, the person of Jesus, you know, that perfect example when God became a man uh, and the teachings of Jesus. Uh, the second one uh, will talk about uh, the right thing to do as, as much as it'll talk about the wrong things to do because this second curriculum uh, it's called Real Men of the Bible, uh, and these are flawed men. Uh, sometimes they do things right, sometimes they do things wrong, and that's going to tie into our lesson today because you'll find uh, that God has been using flawed individuals uh, ever since the fall of mankind, uh, but, but in his perfect wisdom, God's plan for your life, God's plan for my life is correct, uh, and there's things that he will do and can accomplish. We can't, but he can accomplish in some of the most unlikely characters. Uh, and so we'll talk about that a little bit. I would be one of those uh, unlikely characters. Um, it's, it's chapter 9 of the book by J.I. Packer uh, called Knowing God. And remember, the concept of, this, uh, of this, this series that we're going through is, number one, you can know a lot about God but not really know God. The other one is, what is your knowledge of God motivated by? What, what motivates it? Does it motivate you to actually have a more intimate 
relationship and get to know the one and the one and only living God, the beginning and the end, the great I am who says, I will allow you to know me. Or are you pursuing that knowledge just so you can have the right answers and bring attention to yourself? Those are the kind of things we're unpacking. And we've we've walked through uh, a number of things about God that we have to know. Uh, and you remember we talked about that that mankind, we, we can we can push ourselves uh, by the world standard uh, to places uh, that, that might be in, in high offices and high places. Human beings can, can work their way to a high place, but then there's God who is the most high. We're going to take that same concept, and J.I. Packer takes that, that same concept this week, and, and he's acknowledging that mankind has the ability to be wise. There are some wise human beings, uh, and there's, there's the pursuit of wisdom uh, in the pursuit of knowledge, those are not necessarily the same things, but there's only so much wisdom that a human being uh, is gifted with or can, 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 can accomplish. So, yes, a man can be wise, but God is most wise. Same concept, just like we talked about high versus most high. You know, uh, we're talking about man's wisdom at its highest level is folly to the one and only living God. So what, what does Scripture mean when it says that God is wise? What, what exactly does, does it mean? Uh, we know that wisdom is, a, is kind of um, it's a, it's a moral. It, it is, as well as an intellectual quality. Um, it, it's, like I said, it's more than just mere intelligence, and it's more than knowledge. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it's also a lot more than being clever or being cunning. Uh, wisdom is above all these things. So for us to be truly wise in, in, in the, the biblical sense, uh, our in intelligence and even our cleverness, it must be harnessed uh, and put in the proper place under the authority of Christ. Uh, Proverbs um, tells us that, that true wisdom begins with a fear of God. Wisdom is the power to see and the, the inclination to choose the best and the highest goal. So there's a lot of people that can make choices, but only the wise make good choices or the correct choices. They, they weigh out uh, the, the better choice and, and also the better goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Uh, wisdom is someone who says, not only do I know what I think we need to do here, what the right path is, if I have true wisdom, I not, I not only know the right path, I know what it takes to attain it. And these are the people that you find uh, that are, that are wise. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. I, I may understand morality, uh, but if I don't have the wisdom to fully implement it, and what's the best plan, uh, then it then it's 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 not near as valuable. Uh, and so, wisdom is, in fact, the pra- the practical side of moral goodness. J.I. Packer says, and listen what he says next: as such, it is found in its fullness only in God. See, it's got a moral component to it, doing the right thing, handling things the right way. You know, I think about one of our my mentors in men's ministry that I had the honor to talk to just moments ago, and hopefully, if the winter storm allows, have the chance to teach alongside again this weekend, and that's Steve Farrar. And I remember Steve Farrar saying something that, that was so simplistic, but but such a great definition of wisdom and he said, don't get overwhelmed by, you know, the man that, that God has called you to be. Just do the next right thing. 
Just do the next right thing. Now, it, see, it's it's one step after the next step after the next step under control, wisdom. I know the right thing to do. I know how to do it, and then I actually implement it. So if it has a moral component, then J.I. Packer, which it does, J.I. Packer makes the argument then wisdom can only be found in its fullest, in its perfection, in God. So yes, human beings can be wise, but only God is the most wise. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Wisdom, ours versus God's. Okay, all right. So J.I. Packer talks about this a little bit, and, uh, and, and he says, Power is as much God's essence as wisdom is, Omniscient, meaning, you know, he's omniscient, and that governs his omnipotence, his infinite power, ruled by infinite wisdom, and it's a basic biblical description of the divine character. Uh, If you remember the book of Job, uh, Job is is called blameless and upright, and we've talked about this a lot, but it's going to, there's some things we've talked about a lot in in past Bible studies that are going to find their way into this week, uh, but that's because these are things that you find throughout Scripture. And and if you remember Job, when when he he goes through this this journey with God through these the, the suffering that God has allowed, here's what Job says about those that the thought of questioning God. Now Job did get to the point where he finally complained, and then God came in and gave his resume, and then Job says, "Hey, after I realize who you are, I realize how small I am compared to you, and I despise myself, and I repent in ashes and dust." Job says this in chapter nine. And verse 4, so write that down. Job chapter 9, verse 4, talking about God, he says his wisdom is profound. His power is vast. So, so if, if God is omniscient, meaning he, he's, he's, he's ultimately knowledgeable, everything he does is right, he, he is all-knowing, and everything that he knows and does is done in perfection, and he's omnipotent, meaning he's everywhere, he says, well, then his wisdom is profound, um, omniscient, and his power is vast, omnipotent. It, it, it never ends. So to God, now we're, we're in Job 12, verse 13. Just keep making these notes. And I hope you do take notes. An archive, I know sometimes is easier because some of you, uh, you know, have a time maybe to sit down and go back. But if, if you're sitting and listening to this right now live, then write down Job 12, 13, because Here's what Job says about God, too. To God belong wisdom and power. Uh, so this is the reason why that, that you, you hear this word that Jesus uses and, and has often been misunderstood, especially by men, that the meek will inherit the earth. You know, a lot of times men hear the term meek and they don't like it. And we've, we've clarified this before in Bible studies past, but let's do that again. Uh, I actually was talking to a young man that I get a chance to mentor sometimes, and he is a very big and strong uh, young man, and he was uh, in, involved in a, a chance at a wrestling championship, which, praise the Lord, he did go on to win uh, his state championship. And, and I was kind of talking with him because he was getting nervous, and he was thinking about these last two opponents that he had to face. They both were very good. One was undefeated. One had beaten him before in like a triple overtime. And I said to him, I said, but you have to just be calm you, you got to be calm. I said, because, yes, you're big and, yes, you're strong, but if you don't calm down and have this under control, then you probably are going to lose. And I said, remember what we said about being meek. You know, meek in the word that's used here 
it really signifies the strength of a war horse, but that bridled war horse, this, it, it's strength under control is what meekness is. It doesn't mean weakness at all. It means strength, but not strength out of control, meaning, in this case, talking about wisdom, God is, is, is all-powerful, and he's all-wise, but he's under control. He delves out his power. Uh, he delves it out perfectly. It's, it's under his own restraint, and he knows when to let it out and when to pull it back in, when it's needed and how it's needed and when it's not. So wisdom and power are working all together there when you talk about the great I am. Uh, so Job goes on to say, and this time in Job 36, uh, 5, he says, 36, 5, he is mighty in strength and wisdom. There it is again. He has great power and mighty strength, and his understand his understanding no one can fathom. So God's understanding and how he is so he has such perfection and understanding everything. Isaiah chapter forty, Isaiah chapter forty, verse twenty six and twenty eight. It says that it says he has great power and mighty strength. And his understanding, no one can fathom. Let, let's move on. Let's go to let's go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter two, verse twenty. Wisdom and power are his. The same conjunction appears in the New Testament. Listen, uh, listen to what to Paul says in the book of Romans. Now to him that is of power to to establish your according to my gospel, God only wise. God only wise. So so. You see Paul writing to the, to, to the Romans in, in chapter 16, and this is verse 25 and 27, Romans 16, 25 and 27. Paul says, now to him is the power, and, and he says, and to him he is only wise. Wisdom without power is pathetic. Okay, I have all this wisdom in the world, but there's nothing I can do with it. Oh, great, you have wisdom. You make the right decisions. Do you have any authority? I don't. Well, what good is it? Uh, so with God, we have the ultimate wisdom and we have the ultimate power because wisdom without power is pathetic, a broken reed, and power without wisdom. Let's say that, that I'm all-powerful, and we've seen this in the kings of, of, uh, of the world that are given absolute power, and what do we, what, what do we learn? It, it absolutely corrupts. Human beings can't handle it because a lot of times we give power to human beings who have no wisdom. So wisdom needs power. Uh, to, to be influential, uh, and power needs wisdom to not be detrimental. We talk about this in men's ministry all the time. We talk about the influence that God has given a man, and that influence can't be turned off. Does this sound familiar? So when that influence is not under the authority of Christ, meaning that influence has no wisdom then the influence of the man becomes a detriment. It becomes destructive. It becomes an obstacle. Ah, but when a man is redeemed and now comes under the authority of Christ, now the power and the influence that God has given a man, a male, is now, it's an attribute. I mean, it's a blessing. It's, uh, uh, it, it's now something that, that helps the family. It helps the church. It helps society. So you see what we're talking about here. So, Wisdom without power is pathetic, like a broken reed that can't do anything. But then power without wisdom would be merely frightening. But in God, we find what? I love this. But in God, write this down, we find boundless wisdom and endless power 
united, and this makes him utterly worthy of our fullest trust. He's got it. I, I'm, you know, Steve Farrar, again, I'm bringing this up again. I love when he says, and we talked about this last week, don't fear human beings. What, what, does, what does Jesus teach us? Don't, don't feed those that might can, I mean, fear those that can possibly take your human life, but they have no say on your eternal life. We really, if we want to be wise, we should fear, and Jesus says, fear my father. Because not only can he take your physical life, he can also take your eternal life. That's who you need to fear. Don't fear human beings that, that the great I am, perfectly powerful and perfectly wise, he has to allow them to breathe. That's the distance between the, high, the, the person you may fear and the God you should fear. Um, he has to allow that person to breathe. He's got it. Boundless wisdom and endless power. That's, that's the God that we serve. And so Steve Farrar and I were talking about this weekend that he's in a winter storm in Texas. I said, do you think you're going to be able to get out and get here for the conference this weekend? He said, honestly, I think I'm about 50-50, but I'm not going to know till Friday morning. And we began to talk about this very thing about God, which Steve teaches on this all the time. And he says, if I'm not there for the conference... I'm sure that that's not something that caught God off guard. You know, you and I think the two of us need to teach together, and if God allows that, then then that's in his perfect plan. If it doesn't, then you and I were working a plan that God said, nah, that's not what I want to do. And whatever he wants to do is right. If you can get to that point, it really brings you a lot of peace to realize that that ultimately when you belong to God, we belong uh, to the one who has boundless wisdom and endless power. And you can trust him because he is wise enough that whatever he's doing is right, whether you think it is or not. You know why you may not think what God is doing is wise? is because your wisdom is lacking. Your wisdom is inferior to his. And we see all kinds of examples of this. We cannot recognize God's wisdom unless we know the end for which he's working. Here, many go wrong, misunderstanding what the Bible means when it says that God is love, for instance. Uh, and and uh, if you want to find out more about this, you can go to, uh, to 1 John 4, and you've heard me talk about this a lot, uh, verses 8 through 10, 1 John 4, 8 through 10. When, when, when we hear, see, if you don't have wisdom and you don't understand God, when you hear, hey, man, God loves us, well, the lack of wisdom, and you see this in, in false theology, if you don't have the wisdom of God or you don't understand God and you, you haven't studied the scriptures about God and you haven't really worked to know God, you think, well, if he loves me, then that means I'm going to have a trouble-free life. Doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, we see God, we just talked about Job, uh, allowing and causing people to suffer all the time to accomplish his perfect plan for that person and for his kingdom. And, and whatever he's doing is right. My wife, Sherry, said it perfectly. I don't always like God's tactics, but I cannot argue with his results. I've seen things that God has done through his perfect wisdom that my inferior and imperfect wisdom didn't fully get at the time. But then when I saw the results of it, I went, oh. And I feel silly. 
how many times I've had to admit, oh, so God actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> I, know, I know how ridiculous that sounds, but we do that, don't we? I don't, I don't know if God knows what he's doing right here. Uh, and, and so that's why we have to understand more about, we got to know God in order to, to really understand that his wisdom is, uh, is, is the most wise. So if you don't understand that, then in, this, is, this, this is the reason why I despise the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, because it's a false presentation of God. It's a false presentation of his wisdom. Because what happens if you start believing that? Well, then if something bad does happen and you haven't understood that side of God, uh, that he is wise and he is in control, and whatever happens, he allowed it because he could certainly stop it. So then, we, we, remember I told you, if you can get to the point where you can shift, when you go through difficulty, God, what are you teaching me right now? Because there's always something being taught. And whatever's being taught, we don't need to miss because it's perfect. Because he's the most wise. But then if you don't understand that, when something happens, then you lose, you lose your faith. You lose hope. You, you think God's against you. You don't know what's going on. Now, if you're receiving God's wrath because of your defiance, that, that's, that's a different animal. But when you're walking through your life with God and things get difficult like he said they would, then you have to understand. I mean, think about Jesus in John 16:33. I say this so that you have peace. In this world, you will, you will face tribulation. But when you do, always take heart, have joy in your heart because I've overcome the world. See, that, that's part of what God is teaching us in his wisdom. Don't cling to this world because you'll just die with it. And God will do whatever he needs to do in his perfect wisdom to break away our love of this world. That's one thing I, I, I've seen him do clearly in, in my own life. And he continues to refine me uh, and, and take away my desire for things that are beneath him. So... You don't want to ever get to the point where you think God's wisdom and or his power have broken down, uh, and then before long, Satan convinces you uh, that, hey, he doesn't even exist. Because if how many, times have you, how many times have you heard this? If you don't believe this, how many times have you heard this? I can't trust and believe in a God that does this. I can't trust and believe in a God that allows this. I can't trust and believe in a God that's supposed to be over a world where these things happen. See, that's a misunderstanding of things that sin and the fallen creation has caused and, 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 and the plan that God has for our life. Uh, you'll have a hard time uh, dealing with God if you don't understand that his wisdom is above any wisdom that you and I could ever muster. Uh, so don't get the idea uh, that God's wisdom, uh, you know, is, is, is all in God's wisdom, everything here is supposed to be you know, happiness and, and supposed to make all the godly people comfortable. And uh, he never promised anybody, including Christians, a trouble-free life. He always promised us the reverse. Remember, all that used to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's one. Uh, and what, what he's trying to do is say to us in his wisdom not to cling to this world. He has the, he has another end in view for life in this world that, that more than he, than hey I tell you what why don't I just make it easier for everyone could he make it easier for everyone he could so you have to ask these questions then what is he after what's his goal 
What, what, what is he aiming at? Well, when he made us, his purpose was that we should love and honor him, praise him for the wonderfully ordered complexity and variety of this world, using it according to his will, and so enjoying both it and him. But we messed it up. And what he's doing through redemption is working his way back to that original plan. Through redemption. His ultimate objective is to bring us to a state in which we please him entirely and praise him adequately, adequately, and also a state in which he is all and all to us and that we rejoice continually in the knowledge of each other's loves, people rejoicing in the saving love of God set upon us for all eternity, and God rejoicing in the responsive love of people drawn out of them by grace through the gospel. That's His ultimate goal is for us to be what we were always intended to be, bottom line. He is refining us for us to, to be in a state that when I get up every day, the number one thing on my mind is to please God. That's one of the things that he's trying to get me to, to praise God adequately, to, to not call him the big man upstairs, to not dumb him down to something that's more comfortable uh, to me. No, really to understand him to the point that I find myself in awe of him, and then I will praise him adequately. He, he is trying through his wisdom to get me to the point that I rejoice continually in the knowledge of, of, of who he is and my love for my fellow brothers and sisters of the faith, that, that we rejoice in the saving love of God, that we actually look at redemption as something that makes us go, wow, wow, how about this God that we serve? He, he redeemed us when he could have wiped us off the face of the earth because he's holy. He did something for us we couldn't do for ourselves. And to maybe be thankful and live a life that reflects that thankfulness, that's what he's after. For us to have a, for us to understand that we are focused on our eternity more than we are focused on, on, on what we can see right here in front of us. That, that our lives are lived facing eternity, not just the present. Not, not just the, the, the fallen, but, but the redeemed version of what is ahead. And he's also would love to see us rejoicing in the responsive love that we give him when our mind thinks about what he did. How can you bring any charge against a God who saved you when you couldn't save yourself? So in the immediate time, though, so, so the immediate objective is to draw individual men and women into a relationship of faith, hope, and love toward him. His goal is to refine us and deliver us from sin and showing forth in our lives the power of that actual grace. So so what is the power of this grace that J.I. Packer in the Bible is talking about? Well, the power of the grace is our obedience. I I love, uh, was it it, uh, Finney who said, I think it was, yeah, Finney who said, if you want to know what revival is, you ever hear people say, this country needs a revival. The church in America needs a revival. What is, what, is, what is true revival? Well, Finney says true revival is just a return to obedience. And, and that's what God is after, that when, we, when, when we, we know that we can't do anything to save ourselves and we know that we can't 
adapt some code of conduct by our own self-control that will somehow be good enough. No, that's not it at all. That when we think about who he is and what he did, that the response and the power of the grace that he showed us, that response is our obedience. That's our worship. We love you for what you did. Obedience comes from love. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, anyone who abides in me and I abide in them, in them I will produce fruit, thus proving that they are my disciples. That's what he's after. And that's what his perfect wisdom is trying to accomplish. So then we look at God dealing with, our, with us, the imperfect, frustrating people. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we look at somebody, and, and, and I told you about our new curriculum that's coming out uh, at the end of March. The, the first man that we will look at in the uh, first five weeks of that curriculum is Abraham. And J.I. Packer talks about Abraham. When you think about what God has done with Abraham, when you look at Abraham, the only thing good about Abraham is God. Just like the only thing that's good about me is God. Abraham was, was not really, he made a lot of bad decisions. Uh, you know, if you look in Genesis 12, uh, 10 through 12, you see that he endangered his own wife's chastity. His wife was beautiful. He goes into this foreign land. He's afraid that they may kill him uh, to get his wife. So he pretends like that his wife is his sister and gives him, gives his wife, I'm sorry, gives his wife uh, uh, to this, uh, this king. And, uh, and, and until God spoke to the king and said, hey, that's Abraham's wife. Do not uh, defile her. But Abraham was willing to give up her chastity just to save his rear end. Uh, he was he was anxious about his own security. Um, he caved into the pressure uh, when his wife uh, had, could not conceive a son, and uh, and Sarah caves in and tells Abraham, "You might as well just go ahead and and have a baby with Hagar, uh, my maidservant." I, I guess this is never going to happen. And instead of Abraham saying, no, God's you know, promised me a son, and I'm going to have a son, and I'm going to stand on the promises of God. God's wisdom is perfect, meaning the timing for God will be perfect. He didn't. He gave in, and uh, and it caused all kinds of problems. And once he had the baby, Ishmael, with, with Hagar, then what happened? Then Sarah got mad when she finally got pregnant, like God had already promised in Genesis chapter 16. And then he let Sarah run this woman who she said that she wanted him to have a baby with, then he, then he let her run her out of the house with the kid. So Abraham, by nature, was, uh, was not really a strong man of principle and responsibility, but God in his perfect wisdom said, I'm going to work out this incredible blessing and this incredible story. I'm going to do it through Abraham. And Abraham was used and faithfully fulfilled his appointed role on the stage of church history. Abraham. Well, that, that didn't speak highly of Abraham. It speaks highly of God. And how about this? When God wove Abraham together in his mother's womb, Psalms 139, 13 through 16, he knew that Abraham would fulfill the purpose that God had for him no matter how many mistakes and goof-ups that Abraham had along the way. If God says, I'm doing this through Abraham, then it was going to be done. And his selection 
of Abraham by the world standard may not have been very good. But by God's standard, it was perfectly wise. I, I hope that gives you some hope today. Uh, because if you think that uh, the way the world sees you or even the way you see yourself uh, is the way God sees you, you may be incorrect. I mean, you, you may be completely incorrect. And um, li- listen to what uh, uh, was said in the book of Psalms. God kept confronting Abraham with himself and led Abraham to the point where his heart could say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Have you gotten to that point yet? It's a great place to get. I think about the New Testament version, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Abraham was finally confronted that, that God is the strength of his heart and his portion forever, just like the psalmist said in Psalm 73. Write that down, Psalms 73, 25 and 26. And uh, we see that, he, that Abraham is used by God. God confronts Abraham to the point that Abraham, and he can do this, put your name in this, he confronts Abraham and takes him from being a man of the world to becoming a man of God. Thus, Abraham responds to God's call, leaves home and travels through the land which his descendants are to, to possess. In Genesis 12, verse 7, though, though not he himself, Abraham never possessed any more of Canaan than a grave, but he did this to fulfill what God called him to do. You find that out in Genesis 25, 9 and 10. We observe him in in a new meekness that he did not have before. He declines to claim his due uh, precedence over his nephew Lot. So all of a sudden, Abraham, who became this, all I look after is myself, suddenly he doesn't want anything for himself, and he starts putting others ahead of himself. He did this for his nephew Lot. We see a new courage in him, even though before he was willing to give up his wife in order for him not to be harmed. But now there's a, there's a new courage because we see Abraham, what, put together a mere 300 men to go rescue that nephew Lot from the combined forces of four kings, Abraham and 300 men. That's in Genesis 14, verses 14 and 15. What about his dignity? We see a new dignity. He... Uh, He deprecates keeping the recaptured uh, treasures that he took, lest it should be uh, seem to have been the king of of Sodom rather than the king of the Most High who made him rich. He wouldn't be defiled by the treasures of the king of Sodom even when he went and actually defeated him. Uh, He did not keep these things in chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. We also see what? A new patience as he waits a quarter of a century from the age of 75 to 100, for the birth of his promised heir, Isaac. So we we certainly see a different Abraham. We see him at one point, and this is probably the greatest test that we all know that Abraham passed, and we can't even understand it, wrap our mind around it. But we see him at the end so utterly devoted to God's will and so confident that God knows what he is doing that he is willing at God's command to kill his own son, the heir for whose birth he had waited so long. This is chapter 22 of Genesis. How wisely God had taught him his lesson. 
and how well Abraham had learned it. So, so Abraham was willing to learn from the wisdom of God to the point that when God had told Abraham to sacrifice the only son that God had, had promised him, he was willing to do it. Now, one of the things you think about, if you go to the writer of Hebrews, when he talks about this in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, you see the writer of Hebrews saying, Abraham was so sold on God's wisdom, one of the options that he was thinking about is he knew that God could raise his son from the dead. I don't know why God wants me to sacrifice this son, but in his perfect wisdom, it must, there must be a reason to do it. And if that's what God thinks is the right thing to do, in God's wisdom, I will do it. And it could be that I, I'll, uh, that he's going to give him back to me because I do know that he promised that this heir uh, would be part of my lineage and it would be part of what God said he was going to do. So he's remembering that, that God is perfect and had already said that Isaac would be that seed. So he just knew that God was going to work it out for the best. And that is someone who is completely sold on God's wisdom. Other examples, we don't have time to get into all of them. We know that Jacob goes from being a deceiver uh, to, uh, to, to, ha- to God working with him and using him. Uh, we know that, um, uh, that uh, Joseph, the things that God uh, did, did for Joseph uh, to get him in that perfect position, to be in that perfect position with his, um, uh, with his, uh, his family and, and the people that God loved and their needs. So, so these are things that God, in his perfect wisdom, and that's what you have to, to understand. So let's, let's think about that a little bit for Jacob. So you remember when Jacob, in Genesis 32, verse 24 through 30, these hours of desperation, he, he agonized, um, and, and, he, and it seemed that Jacob, uh, you know, not just spiritually but physically, uh, he, he literally grabbed hold of God and he wanted a blessing and an assurance of divine favor and protection in the crisis that he found himself in because he was alone and, and fearing for his life. And even though God taught him lessons about being a deceiver, when he himself was deceived in his pursuit of, uh, of Rachel and, uh, you know, the tricks that his father-in-law, uh, you know, played on him, uh, God's teaching him a lesson of what it feels like to be deceived and then when the time came when Jacob was just at a loss and he's alone and he's by the river and he's saying, he wants to wrestle with God, saying, I'm going to wrestle and I'm going to, with whatever I can do spiritually and physically, I'm going to get this, this blessing from you. Jacob, the deceiver, wrestling with God. And here's, here's what happened. When he was asking for this assurance of divine favor and protection in the crisis he found himself in, and he could not get what he sought. Instead, he grew even more conscious of his own state, utterly helpless, and without God, utterly hopeless. He felt the full bitterness of all the unscrupulous, cynical ways that had now come home to roost in his own life. He had treated Esau this way. He had tricked his father, Isaac, and now God was giving Jacob a dose of his own medicine. Why? to get him prepared so he could be used. And so here he is. He, he, he had become self-reliant. God was taking that away. He believed himself more than a match for anything that might come, but now he felt 
the complete inability to handle things. He knew with blinding, blazing certainty that ne- that he never dare to trust himself again and, and to, to carve out his own destiny because he sees what that has led to. He will never again dare to try to live by his own wits. God took all that away, and here's what I love about what God will do to remind you of the ways you try to do things compared to the way he wants them done, that even when he wrestles with God himself, what happens? God lamed him. He took that hip out of socket. And that happens in chapter 32, verse 25, putting his thigh out of joint to be a perpetual reminder in his flesh of his own spiritual weakness and his need to always lean upon God, just as for the rest of his life, he had to walk leaning on a stick. So see, you think every time that Jacob limped after he decided to wrestle with God, this man who was proud, who was cunning, clever, deceitful, and God was breaking him down saying, I'm going to take away your self-reliance. I'm going to take away, I'm going to make you so sick and nauseous with deceivers because I'm going to let somebody deceive you and see how it feels. I'm going to make you hate these things and understand that you are. You need to rely on me and be the man that I can make you and stop being a man that doesn't represent me. When he leaned on that stick, God, you think God couldn't have after he wrestled him, after he took his thigh out of joint, you don't think he could have just put it back in? And, and him never limp again. No, what God will do sometimes through our trials and our teaching, when his perfect wisdom is teaching us, sometimes what he does, he will leave a reminder that you'll never forget. And can you learn to be thankful for that? The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a thorn in my flesh that is being used by Satan to harass me. He sent a demon to harass me about this, and I have pleaded with you three times to take it away, and you won't. And then Paul answers his own question. And you won't to keep me from being conceited. You're humbling me. You're reminding me of the grace that you delivered me with. And you're reminding me that to have your grace is sufficient. Could God remove the thorn from his flesh, whatever it was? Yes. Does Jacob have to limp the rest of his life? No. God could make his walk perfect, but he doesn't. And the fact that he doesn't is the right thing for you. And it's the right thing for me because his wisdom is the most high. Whatever he does is right. And he loves us enough, he'll do whatever he needs to do to give us our best shot to be perfect and under his authority. Jacob hated himself after this. And he really, really hated people who were deceitful and tried to cleverly fool you because he had experienced, and God allowed him to experience exactly what he had done to other people. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And you know when he got his blessing? When he was weak and despairing and humble 
and dependent enough to be blessed. He weakened, he weakened my strength in the way, says the psalmist in Psalm 102, verse 23. Psalms 102, verse 23. That was what God had done to Jacob, and it's what God has done to me. Joseph was being tested, refined, matured, right? When he was being taught during his spell as a slave and in prison to stay upon God, to remain cheerful and charitable in frustrating circumstances, and to wait patiently for the Lord. God uses sustained hardship to teach these lessons very frequently. And that's the reason why you see false theology that is of the devil himself trying to convince you that this isn't the way God operates. You have to ignore a lot of scripture. You have to ignore a lot of things to believe that God does not operate this way. And why is he operating this way? Because he's right. He knows in perfect wisdom exactly what you and I need to be where we're supposed to be with him. And he knows about what he's going to do and how we're going to respond when he wove us together in our mother's womb. Listen to what Joseph said in Genesis 45, verses 7 and 8. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, who's he talking to? His brothers. Well, wait a minute, Rick. His brothers, you know, tried to kill him, and then finally uh, they, thought they, they decided they would throw him into a, a, a big hole and an empty cistern that you, they found a lot in these parts of the, of the world, and then they sold him into slavery. And you know what Joseph said? Are you all ready for this in God's perfect wisdom? Because you've got to accept God for who he is, not who you want him to be. But then you have to remember, even if you don't like the way he is, learn to understand it and to love him for the way he is because you understand that the way he is and what he's doing is for your best interest and to get you perfectly into his perfect will. He has perfect wisdom. So the way he teaches and what he does is right. Can you get there? I would suggest it. Because he'll work to get you there. He has me. And it has, it has not been easy, but it has been wonderfully, it has been wonderful the way it has paid off. I'm glad he changed me. I don't like me before the things that he put me through. I'm like Jacob. I hate the way I used to be. And I love the way he's making me in his perfect wisdom, even though he has used much difficulty to get me there because he knew difficulty works. It always has. But think about what Joseph said. He's telling his brothers, you didn't throw me in that hole. You didn't sell me into slavery. God did. And he did it to work his perfect wisdom to get me here where I can, I can be used to save his people from starvation. The famous line, which you intended for evil, God intended for good. You see these lessons throughout the scriptures. These perplexing trials that we go through, these are things written for our learning. For the same wisdom that ordered the past which God's saints trod in Bible times orders the Christian life today. Remember, remember one of the things we're trying to learn about this? The God who took Abraham through those things he had to go through is the same God 
that is dealing with you right now and dealing with me. The same God that dealt with Jacob and, 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 and knocked that hip out of socket and gave him a, a limp for the rest, of, the rest of his life, that's the same God you wrestle with. That's the same God I wrestle with. The God that allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery, that allowed Joseph to go, to, to go into Potiphar's house to be tested, and when Joseph would not sleep with Potiphar's wife, because not because he was worried so much about Potiphar, that was part of it, not so much he was worried so much about this woman, even though that was part of it, he said, I cannot commit this sin against God. And what was the result of his obedience? Thrown in jail. To sit there for three more years. Did he, but did Joseph ever, ever lose his faith? No, because he understood God's perfect wisdom. And then Joseph was called out at the perfect time. And then he worked his way into the place of, of influence exactly the way God laid it out when he wove Joseph together in his mother, mother's womb. And all Joseph had to do was learn as the perfect teacher was teaching. That's the same God that has you in the place you're in right now. It's the same God. We should not be too taken back when unexpected, upsetting, and discouraging things happen to us now. What do they mean? Simply that God in his wisdom means to make something of us which we have not attained yet, and he is dealing with us accordingly to get us there. God, why are you doing this? Because he's getting you somewhere that you can't get any other way. Start thinking of it in those terms. Everything that you're walking through, now there's some things you're bringing on yourself, but these things that God's orchestrating, he's orchestrating to get you where he wants you to be. He might strengthen you in patience. He may help you with compassion. With, with the Apostle Paul, with me, humility, meekness, that you need to learn how to control yourself better. And what he may be doing is giving you some extra practice and exercising these graces under especially Difficult conditions. Hey, you want, to, you want to be taught patience? You know what happens? You get put in positions where you need to be patient. You want to be taught humility? Then things have to happen to you that humble you. You want to be taught meekness? Then your strength out of control has to get you in a lot of trouble so you can learn to be under control. I mean, this is not a new concept. This is the things that we've been told to do as parents ourselves. Can't you see it from that point of view? I think one of the biggest things that parents do, the biggest thing that is that parents do that is completely incorrect is you, you try every way in the world that you can to keep your child from ever suffering the consequences of their bad decisions. That's, that's sometimes that's some of the worst things you can do. Because you know what? They can't learn it unless they see the results of their decisions sometimes. they got to learn it. How I want to live my life the way I want to live it, Dad, not here. Then pay your own bills. Go live somewhere else. Dad, does that mean you don't love me? No, it means I actually do love you. I just don't approve of what you're trying to do. Well, if you're going to be that way, then I don't want to talk to you anymore. Okay. When can I talk to you? When you do things right. Doesn't mean I don't love you. It means I actually do love you. And so see if breaking the relationship with me is something that is better than being in the right standing with me. All I want for you is what's best. Son, daughter, 
And God's saying the same thing to you, saying the same thing to me. All I want is what's best for you. Well, how do you know what's best, God? Well, because I have perfect wisdom. I have, I have, I have the most wisdom. And I can use you. If you'll just simply find yourself submitting to me, repenting of your sin and getting in my perfect will, so I'll teach you. Maybe he needs to teach you a, a lesson in self-denial. Maybe he needs to teach you uh, uh, self-distrust as opposed to always thinking that you need to be self-reliant. Self-reliant is a sin if we become too self-reliant because it means we're not relying on God. It doesn't mean we're not responsible and human beings. It just we need to stop looking at our own strength when we need to be sometimes just submitting to his. So whatever he needs to do, some people need to be broken of complacency. Some people need to be broken of being unrealistic about who they are. These little undetected forms of pride and conceit that you don't even see. And the reason why you can't see them is God needs to show them to you, and he will. But you know what else it might be? It may be that his purpose is simply to draw you and me closer to him and a conscious communion with him. Therefore, it is often the case, all the saints know that fellowship with the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is the most vivid and sweet, and Christian joy is the greatest when the cross is the heaviest. If only difficult difficulty wasn't so effective, <laughs> maybe we could avoid some of it. Maybe he's preparing you for something that right now you think you don't have any ability to do. You're right. He's like that. He's always using these most unlikely people. You know why? Because then everybody knows it's him. People who've known me in my embarrassing years, and they see me now, those, though, though imperfect and still with work to do, but willing to do it, willing to let God mold me into whatever he wants to mold me into, willing to do that. There's nothing that I, have, I say now to God, well, that's off limits. I have some preferences. I, I ask him, but you know what I say because Jesus taught me to pray this way? I'll say things like, Lord, my wife has been through a lot with the trials and tribulations that we've been through involving the the earthly loss of our youngest child but who's waiting on us in heaven, but also other difficulties that you don't know about. And there's been times I've said, Lord, please don't take me from her. Let, let her. Let her go first just so she doesn't have to try to go through these things and deal with, with burying me. Let me live longer than her. But you know what I say at the end? But ultimately, Lord, your will be done. If it's your will that she has to spend part of her life without me to learn something you've got to teach her, then your wisdom will be right. There's nothing wrong with making requests, but ultimately his will will be done. Like I said earlier, Paul saw part of the reason of his own afflictions and the fact that God comforts comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort those 
in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Even the Lord Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered and so was made perfect for his high priestly ministry of sympathy and help to all of his hard-pressed disciples. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. On one hand, he's able to uphold us and make us more than conquerors. We see this in Romans chapter 8 and all our troubles and distresses. But on the other hand, we must not be surprised if he calls us to follow in his steps and let ourselves be prepared for the service of others by painful experiences, which you may feel are quite undeserved. He knows the way that he takes, even in the moment if we don't. I remember that. Been there. I remember that vividly. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but may your will be done. Because I know what you're doing is right. And I know that at the end of it all, what you're trying to do is make me more like you. You're you're breaking down all the things in my sinful flesh that are in conflict with you. You're giving me a different perspective that you far exceed anything this world offers me. I don't know where... I'm headed. I don't know what's ahead of me as far as the earth is concerned. The Lord Jesus already told me I wouldn't worry too much about tomorrow because you may not have it. Today has enough trouble of its own. Isn't it interesting that God says, he didn't say, don't worry so much about tomorrow (laughs) because today is so outstanding. Carpe diem. Seize the day. No, he really didn't say that. He says, don't worry so much about what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Today has all the trouble that you need. The troubles of today are sufficient. Just work your way through them. And then I'll take you one day at a time. And I'll use my ultimate wisdom to teach you things in the wisest way that they can be taught. You can trust God's wisdom, because it's perfect. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this uh, powerful reminder. I can pretty much say with zero reservation, there are people that are struggling that are watching this and listening to this right now because we're in a fallen creation, and I don't think there's anyone that's exempt from struggle, difficulty because this sinful fallen place just seems to create it. And I pray, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to understand that in your perfect wisdom, that you are using all these things to mold us into the people that you desire that we be, and that your will be done, because our will lacks wisdom. Your will has perfect wisdom. And may we find ourselves in it. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If I can help you at all, maybe follow up and answer any questions you may have. Rick at rickandbubba.com. Thank you for joining us this week.